Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Large retail and e-commerce companies have made it easy for consumers to buy just about anything and everything online. But there's a new company in Chicago that is helping small businesses compete with the big guys so they can offer the same flexibility and speed of receiving their purchases. La La Move is an app-based, same-day courier service that helps with delivery for small businesses. The goal at La La Move is simple. Help local Chicago small businesses by providing affordable delivery for their customers. La La Move merges the rideshare model with courier services to deliver anything from flowers to furniture and everything in between. Right now, La La Move is offering free delivery for one month. Visit lalamove.com. That's lalamove.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. You're on mute, dog. Yeah. <laughs> got to do that when uh, the train goes by. <laughs> there, uh, go. Every Friday uh, on the Venture Show, Ramana Hussein joins us from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, editor columnist from the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome back to the show, Ramana. Hi, how are you guys doing? Cold. Yeah, I'm very yeah, cold. Too. Very cold. Uh, and here in my little uh, attic apartment. And I will be cold for the next uh, week. And Romana, I don't go anywhere anyway, as you know, and it's gotten worse with the pandemic. We had this uh, great conversation, by the way. Um, it was Gregory Pratt was on the show uh, from the Tribune, City Hall reporter, outstanding City Hall reporter. And we were talking, this is a tangent, a total tangent, Romana. But we were, talking, we were talking about... Uh, the teacher's opposition uh, to going back to the classroom. I think it was Gregory who said, it may have been somebody else who said it, so I apologize, Gregory, for putting words into your mouth. But uh, somebody said, you know, with each passing day, it gets harder and harder for a lot of people. And I know I'm speaking for myself to even think about leaving the house. I, I feel as though I'm worse in that situation right now here in the first week of February almost a full year into the pandemic than I was like, let's say last March and the cold doesn't help uh, in any way, but I, Ramana, I'm like lodged in this freaking house. Do you feel the same way? I feel locked, but I'm ready to go out. I, I mean, working is probably going to be a little more trickier because I, I do say I miss it, but I know I'll complain once I actually have to get up a little earlier and get ready for work and, you know, pack my lunch and do all that stuff. And then, you know, commute, but I do miss going out. I jump at the chance of going out and seeing someone outside for a few minutes or seeing my mom for a few minutes. I, I, I jump at the chance. I can go out even for a few minutes, um, even if it's cold. I know the cold stops people, but I don't know. I I need social interaction. So I, I try to jump at the chance. I mean, 99.9% of the time I'm stuck inside my house, but I, I feel claustrophobic in just shut in so i'm ready to go out not that this has anything to do with the teachers union or you yeah. know the fact that they have to go to school but i'm just saying me personally i'm ready to be back to normal but i know it's going to be a while before that happens yeah uh and, and i gotta say this romana was uh one of the more social people at the chicago sometimes when we had her uh, studio she was one of the friendliest people we everybody talking to people uh and uh so yeah it must be very difficult to uh take you out of that work environment and put you 
in your apartment there on the north yeah. side. Yeah, I'm a total extrovert. I think you are too. I kind of feel like you're more an extrovert, extrovert too. So I feel more drained. I, I know introverts feel drained interacting with people. I feel drained just being inside and locked out. I think I'm an extrovert too. I'm, I'm kind of a weird extrovert. That's just a, a tangent within a tangent. Like sometimes when I'm walking down the street, I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm just walking down this. So I literally cross the street when I see something. But you put me in an office, I see other people. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. when I was at the bright one, that come into the Sun Times, say hello to the receptionist. You see various editors walking through. Hey, what's going on, my man? You know. So yeah, I, I get. I, I I guess I do miss that as well. All right, let's get down to business here. And you were the one who sent uh, this to me and um, alerted me to this uh, tweet theme that was going around about uh, AOC. Everybody knows I love AOC. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I make no secret about that. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman from uh, New York City, I think she's a great model uh, that I wish uh, all our congresspeople uh, would emulate her fearlessness and standing up for her left of center beliefs as opposed to like couching them and like centrist rhetoric. And, uh, she was pretty honest about the impact that the, the siege in Congress on January 6th had on her because uh, she was a survivor of sexual assault. I didn't realize any of this, Romana. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody knew about that. I mean, not that it's anybody's business, but I don't think she brought it up until she talked about it on Instagram. Yeah, so uh, so she said it triggered her, and then there was a counterattack, uh-huh. which I found really offensive. Uh, and you were the one who alerted to me. You said uh, it was trending on Twitter. AOC Smollett, explain. What that means. What's your uh, favorite topic? Smollett. You know, you say you're sick of it, but then you always want to talk about it. So obviously anybody who's been living in Chicago, unless they're under a rock, knows about the Jesse Smollett case, um, which actually hasn't been talked about in a long time. But, you know, it's still going through the court system. But this is an actor from uh, the show Empire, which doesn't exist anymore, I think. But it's former actor. Um, who said that he was attacked by two white men and uh, had racial and homophobic slurs thrown at him and that these guys put a noose around his head. But police say that he had um, fabricated the allegations and actually hired two guys that he knew to stage the attack. And then the story probably would have died, but then the state's attorney's office ended up dropping the charges against him because he was eventually charged um, with lying to police then those charges were dropped by the state's attorney's office. And that became a big point during the elections, uh, Kim Fox, uh, you know, re-election. Uh, and then he was charged at a prosecutor involved. The allegations are that Jesse Smollett lied, exaggerated the claims. Um, so a lot of these individuals who are criticizing AOC about you know, her in Capitol Hill, you know, crouching down in another congresswoman's office, I believe. They were saying she was exaggerating and, you know, making up lies um, about herself being attacked and then putting herself at the center of attention. So that was basically the the gist of the attacks. I didn't specifically look on Twitter, but I just saw like, you know, one day I saw something about AOC Smollett and then the other day I saw something like about her lies. So there were a lot of people. I mean, the fact that it was trending on Twitter that we're talking about this. I think even Glenn uh, is it Glenn Greenwald, who's been criticized. He's like a lefty. Yes, uh, he's a lefty reporter, but he's been criticized a lot in the last couple of years because he ended up leaving the intercept with company he founded. But anyway, I think people were saying that he was imitating AOC's like, you know, using baby voice to imitate her. And they thought that he was being, you know, kind of dismissing her too. So I, I saw that he was trending on Twitter for doing that. So it, it, it became like this bigger story just because of the attacks against AOC and the story that she posted on Instagram. Yeah. Well, by linking her to uh, Justice Millett, and uh, yes, Romana, you're absolutely correct. Uh, as they say, uh, the lady doth protest too much. I'm always saying, oh, no, no more Smollett talk, and I can't get enough. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but by linking her to Justice Smollett, it was clearly an attempt to say, 
that, oh, here they go again. Those lefties, they're making stuff up, just like Justice Millette made up uh, that story about being attacked by MAGA hat wearers. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that part of the story. Yeah, and that's that was that was the link to that was the link. Like, yeah, so she's making up stuff. He made up stuff. That's what lefties do. They just make stuff up. Uh, when in reality, she was expressing some that fears and concerns she had that were triggered by uh, the siege. And I don't know if you saw this, but AP, uh, one of the reporters for the Associated Press, went through and did a fact, one of their little fact checks, and said that it corroborated everything she said. But it's so clear, Romana, that um, that the Republicans are trying to do with AOC to turn her into some kind of democratic equivalent of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. I personally am offended by that because I believe that AOC lives in the worlds of facts that she's accountable for the things she says. Mm -hmm. She doesn't make unwarranted uh, ad hominem attacks on other people. And uh, she, uh, deals with like provable things you may disagree with her uh worldview you may disagree with her proposals but she's just not making up bizarre theories about like lasers from space causing forest fires and being paid for by jewish bankers mm -hmm. uh you get what i'm saying so yeah i just think it's um it's really unfair. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I'm I'm okay with espousing my opinion on you know the comparisons. I think that it's ridiculous. Um, AOC isn't going out there um, aligning herself with QAnon conspiracy theories. She's not saying um, explicitly black anti-black comments, anti-Semitic comments, Islamophobic comments. Um, just just it goes down the list about what what Margie Taylor Green has said or tweeted. And yeah, just, you know, it's, you know, AOC, does she, you know, spout off against people who are attacking her or politicians who she doesn't agree with? Sure. But she's usually when she's tweeting about them, she's, you know, going boom, boom, boom. Like, here's a threat about why this is wrong. And she like definitely explains it. Whereas Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, it's it's based on hate. I'm sorry. That's the way I see it. Um, it's all based on hate and hating people that don't look like her, you know, who aren't white and Christian. That's what it comes off to someone like me. And, you know, AOC isn't going after people that just look like, you know, going after people who don't just look like her. You know, she's going after, you know, certain things that she thinks are unequal. And I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with her either. Like you said, I don't have to agree with someone's politics, even if someone is a right winger and they believe certain things. There are certain things you're not supposed to be saying. You're not supposed to be making comments, hateful comments against someone else in if it was any other person, if it was one of the squad members saying the same kind of things, anti-Semitic comments, anti-Black comments, would we even have someone like that elected into Congress? I don't know. We probably wouldn't. No, I... Uh, if it was a person of color, I want to say. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that uh, I don't think it's working. Like, uh, I don't think that uh, most Americans would equate... Uh, AOC with Marjorie Taylor Greene. But no. I think what it what it does do uh, is give MAGA that whatever it is, 40 percent of the voting population, we can d discuss what portion of the voting population it actually is. It just reinforces their worldview that somehow or other they're being picked on. And there's a double standard that allows AOC to be AOC, but punishes Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, and that's what I object to, the false equivalency. I, I agree. I, I, I disagree with a lot of the false equivalency arguments that have come out in the last four years, when especially when it comes to hateful things that come out of certain people's mouths. All right. Speaking of which, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I thought there was a very good column written by your colleague, Lynn Sweet, your friend, Lynn Sweet, uh, in today's Sun-Times. And it gets to Adam Kinzinger. Uh, Kinzinger, one of the few Republicans to take stand against Greene's garbage is the headline. As I told you in the pre-show, whoa, that's <laughs> I like that Sun-Times. Go on, right. Let it be known. It is garbage. Uh I will now read to you uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, opening remarks defending herself before the House voted to kick her off committees. 
uh, Lynn Sweet quotes it in the uh, Sun-Times uh, column, and get your thoughts on what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. So this is our opening line. I've already talked about this on the show. Love to get your thoughts. Quote, I was allowed to believe things that weren't true, and I would ask questions about them and talk about them, and that is absolutely what I regret. Because if it wasn't for Facebook's posts and comments that I, quote, liked in 2018, I wouldn't be standing here today and you couldn't point a finger and accuse me of anything wrong because I've lived a very good life that I'm proud of. End of quote. I was allowed to believe things that weren't true. What? What is that? Was, mean? And, yeah. then, and then she said something like, I distanced myself from past comments, but she never really apologized. And if anybody saw the mask that she was wearing when she was at the Capitol yesterday, it was a mask that said free speech. So what kind of message is she sending? It's, it's, it was all confusing and com- complex. I did read the stories yesterday about her non-apology apology. <laughs> Yeah, I was allowed. So she's blaming somebody. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out like who is responsible. Like I was allowed. I was allowed to believe things that weren't true. That is really bizarre phraseology. Like who allowed her to do that? Like who's the evil person <laughs> that allowed her to do something that she shouldn't have done? You, you get what I'm saying? Like who yeah. is she blaming? Yeah, it, it, it's just semantics. I guess she's just saying that. She was swayed by what she saw, but isn't that your fault for not looking into what was posted on Facebook? When you see something, I mean, even like, you know, sometimes there's like these um, kind of like these satirical news organizations and they post articles and, and they're, and they're pretty funny. And these are, these are um, organizations that aren't the onion and they're kind of like, they make it look like they're an actual news story and they're usually funny and I've seen people post them and you think they're real, but then you look at the bottom of the story, it's like not exactly like that news organization. You're like, you know, this is actually satire. And, you know, people catch on to it pretty quick. So if you really wanted to look into any sort of bizarre theory about whether, you know, people, there's some sort of pedophile ring going on in D.C. or, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm just saying like random things. You can look into whether there's investigations or where these allegations came from, like where did, where was the seed planted? Look into that. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know who planted those seeds in Marjorie Taylor's uh, Green's head. She doesn't seem to be ripping the seeds. What, what grove grew from those seeds out, by the way, she just said someone planted them. And then she keeps repeating it. So it's very, that's true. Very, that's true. Uh, and you know, she got, she got placed on committees and, you know, yesterday, obviously, she was stripped of her committee positions, but it's it's I still think it's crazy that she got elected into Congress. But, you know, this like I said, we've talked about, you know, the riots on Capitol Hill on January 6th. I just posted a story on the Sun-Times website and AP poll, um, along with another organization, said that 50 percent of this. Americans don't agree with Trump's impeachment. So there's definitely still a lot of divisions and people believing things that they want to believe. And I think 50, huh? 50. Did you say as in five zeros and half the country? Yeah. Half. So, I mean, and then I was reading, I was, you know, I was looking at the article and there was just people just basically saying that they, how, how they believe that Donald Trump won the elections. This is like, you know, the survey was taken just a few days ago. So this isn't going away anytime soon. This is, this is, has been, this is what people believe. Wow. That's astounding. And by the way, that leads me to my next topic. I talked about this earlier in the show as well. Uh, Smartmatic, Smartmatic uh, the uh, uh, computer le- election company, has filed a defamation suit against Fox, $2.7 billion, I want to say, in regards uh, to the notion that the election was stolen. Their uh, lawsuit opens with this following uh, sentence. Uh, the earth is round. Two plus two equals four. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 election for president and vice president of the United States. The election was not stolen, rigged, or fixed. These are facts. These are demonstrable and irrefutable. End of quote. Uh, and I think what you're what, what you're sort of saying, Ramana, is that there's a fight right now in this country where one side, and I'm on that side, wants across the board declaration, a stipulation of facts that are irrefutable along the lines that the earth is round and two plus two equals four. And that is that Biden and Kamala Harris 
uh, one. And you're saying that the other side is not ready to make uh, that stipulation, correct? Yes. Yes, for sure. And, you know, and you, we talked about Smartmatic. So they fight, they basically, um, it's a defamation suit. It's the biggest, I think it's the biggest libel case or, you know, the, the amount, the 2.7 million is the largest amount. So they sued um, Fox News, three of the hosts, and two of former Trump's lawyers, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. And I don't know if you knew, but there was, they're not the only ones who have sued. Um, there's this also voting company called voting technology company called Dominion. They sued recently a few weeks ago and their their um, lawsuit is one point three billion because, you know, these individuals had basically said that, you know, these they said that they had helped with stealing the election, which is, you know, for the in these companies argument can be thought of as libelous. So it'd be interesting to see what happens because, you know, I know um, I remember in college we learned that libel cases are very hard to prove or people don't really win a lot of libel cases. So it'd be interesting to watch to see what's going to happen with these cases. Yeah, I uh, what's your thoughts about as a journalist when you see a a two point seven billion dollar libel case against Rupert Murdoch's Fox? Oh, I think I think it would be unprecedented if if that amount if if definitely that amount came out. It'd be interesting to see what would happen. I guess it depends on you know who the judge is, but yeah, two point seven billion. And we as we talked about before, then maybe it's the money that might stop people from spreading misfacts. If in fact these companies do get a certain amount, I would think if the da- if they do get damages, it'd be in the millions. That's what I think. I don't know if it'd be in the thousands, but I'm just saying if I, I would think the judges, if it just, I'm just, I'm not an expert on libel cases. I just know like as a lay person about the fact that it's really hard to prove these cases, but I would think given the situation that they would get some sort of money just as from my perspective, I don't know if they're going to get the billions they want, but I would think millions, maybe, maybe thousands. I don't know. It'd be interesting. But yeah, I think if you put play money into it, do you think Fox would change? The way they no, operate. No. You don't think Absolutely so? Absolutely not. I, it, well, time out. If you don't put money, if, if it wasn't. Oh, that's what I mean. Only, if, yeah, if they, yeah. If they have to pay a certain amount in damages, don't you think that would change the way they think? Or Yes. Their behavior. They yes. Be done. Yeah. We, I, I have a guest that comes on the show all the time, Jim Coogan, uh, is an attorney, and we talk about this many times. Uh, like if you want to change people's behavior, one of the only few ways you have to uh, wake them up is to file a lawsuit against them. I, I just, I can't stand the thought of like tied up in court and uh, journalists being punished and maybe even losing their jobs. But I mean, this is so egregious. That's the point of this, the lawsuit that begins by saying there's certain irrefutable facts like, you know, the earth is round, two plus two equals four, Joe Biden won. And the Republicans, it's really hard for them to let go of that. They yeah. don't want to they don't want to concede that Donald Trump lost. And so much of the anger that the Republican supporters MAGA has is uh, based on this notion that they were victimized in this last election. And so it's really drive, driving this rift in the Republican Party because there's a small faction that wants the Republican parties to acknowledge that they lost and then move on from that. Cause think about this Ramona. If you acknowledge that you lost, then you have to say, well, what was it that we did that turned a majority of the people against us? If you say, no, they stole it from us. Then you're saying we did nothing wrong. We don't have to change a thing. So we're going to continue to make anti-Semitic comments. We're going to continue to, um, promote fear of Muslims. We're going to continue uh, to denigrate uh, immigrants because that's what people want to hear because we won. We didn't really lose. Do you follow what I'm saying? So I think it undercuts uh, democracy. Yeah, I agree with you. I have to say I do agree with you. I'm putting my opinion out there. (laughs) We just shouldn't say I have to say I I agree with you. It's like it's such a bad thing. I know, uh, but I'm just saying, I, I, like I said, I don't think, I think as journalists, we do have to tell the truth, and that is the truth. Yeah, the truth is that Joe Biden won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, it's not an opinion thing, but I'm just saying I agree with you in terms of what the Republicans are doing. Yeah, it's going to cause them a lot of problems down the road, but when you say 50%, 
Wow. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's half of Americans. I'll well, read the article afterwards. Yeah, it could be one of those things. It's a poll. It's a poll. You know, it's, polls always have, um, you know, they're not always accurate. But it's still, I, I still I still think whenever people say things like, oh, let's move on, let's unite, let's keep going forward. Um, no, it's not that easy. And why would you unite with people who don't necessarily like you or hate you or want you your existence off you know, want your existence to be existence to be canceled out of America or don't think you're an American. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now, Romana, what you said. And it could be that the most potent argument that the Republicans are raising has nothing to do with what Donald Trump did uh, in the months after the election to uh, perpetuate this lie that he lost or what he did in particular on January 6th, firing up the mob. It could be uh, that it has to do with the, the argument that he's not in office anymore, so therefore you can't impeach him. And the Sun-Times had an essay in it today by their libertarian writer. I don't know if you ever read the guy. He, the Sun-Times has a, a columnist who writes as a libertarian. I was going to kick out of it. Uh, Jacob Sullum is his name. The libertarian point of view. Libertarians were absolutely worthless uh, in uh, the fight to legalize drugs and marijuana. But uh, anyway, there's certain things that they uh, believe government should stay out of. And, and, and so he's making the argument that Congress does not have the right to impeach uh, the president now that he's not in office. So maybe that's what that poll is getting at sentiments that people have along those lines. Is that the case? No, I don't think it is. I think they think he won the election and they, and they think he still should be president and they shouldn't be doing this to him. But I think I think why the Democrats want to do this or why people who are for impeachment, they want it to be symbolic. And if Donald Trump is impeached twice, he doesn't get like the Secret Service, he doesn't get um, Secret Service for the rest of his life. He's losing benefits. I think it's more of a symbolic gesture, if anything. It's not like, you know, obviously we don't want the government to spend like days and weeks on this, but I think they want to do this to, you know, express that, you know, they've been just, you know, everybody's disappointed or more than that's an understatement about what's happened in the last four years. It's unprecedented what happened and what, you know, people think, it basically was a disgrace. So I think I think the Democrats are just going to do. I think it's a symbolic gesture, if anything. Yeah, and also there's the uh, if they. I don't believe they will vote to convict. I just don't believe that they're going to find 17 Republicans to join. But if they do, then you can also uh, have a secondary vote to prohibit Donald Trump from uh, serving right. in office again. Right. Yeah, which you think the Republicans would kind of be relieved by that. You know, that would free things up for them, but. Uh, it's MAGA still loves Trump, so they're yeah. going to have to deal with him. All right, let's move on to the Golden Globes. Uh, they came out with their nominees and uh, some controversy there. Talk about that. Yeah, your favorite movie, Mank. Well, you were disappointed, <laughs> you're, you're, you're disappointed with it, but it got a lot of nominations. Um, there's a lot of controversy. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that the Golden Globes were always seen as a joke for years, for decades, because the Foreign Press Association it's kind, of, it's kind of like anybody can become a member of the Foreign Press Association. Um, you can just write in in like this like newsletter that you made and then you can just join. That's what someone told me. And after NBC started airing the Golden Globes, I would say in the 80s or 90s, then it started becoming a bigger deal and people started taking it more seriously. But in a way, it's kind of sad because it sometimes influences the Oscar results as well. So that's why people say it's it's kind of skewed. And then, you know, people say contests don't mean anything. The best movies don't always win. And so uh, this year, the Golden Globes, I know was panned earlier, which is really funny because it's, it's called the Foreign Press Association. They they put this one Korean-American movie, Minari, that hasn't come, hasn't been streaming yet, but everybody's talking about it. They, they put it in the category instead of like best film because it's getting a lot of buzz as best foreign film and it was filmed in America. It's based on a Korean American family. So it got criticized for that. And then there was a lot of shows, um, including um, I may destroy you, which I recommended on the show HBO um, that was totally snubbed. Uh, the five bloods was also snubbed. Um, There's just so many other shows and movies that people were saying that should have gotten um, mentioned, didn't get mentioned. And then there was this one show on Netflix that everybody like watched, they binge watch it. They said it was really dumb and light, but that got nominated. It was called Emily in Paris. I never watched it because it 
but a lot of people, it caused a lot of controversy in Chicago because in the show, Lily Collins is someone, she's Phil Collins' daughter, by the way, and she's also in Mank. She goes to live in Paris and she used to live in Chicago and they mentioned Lou Malnati's pizza and they criticized it, the, you know, the deep dish pizza. And then Lou Malnati's got into it and tweeted about it. And so it, it caused all these controversy. They had all these like Chicago jokes taking aim in Chicago. So it caused a little controversy in Chicago. Um, and a lot of people, you know, made fun of the show, but that got nominated. So people are kind of, I saw a lot of people criticizing the show the last couple of days, Emily in Paris are like, how did that get nominated? But not, um, I may destroy you. So there's just a lot of chatter people just complaining. And then, you know, I, I admit I will come, I did complain a little, but it wasn't something I was tweeting, but I will still watch it. You know, it's going to be online and it's been delayed a few more days. The, the Oscars have been delayed by a month, I think. And the golden globes have been delayed by a few weeks. So that's going to, the Golden Globes are going to come on at a time when we're usually watching the Oscars and it's going to be, it's going to be virtual. There's going to be two hosts. I think Amy Poehler is going to be on one end. And then I forgot, is it, is it, um, Tina Fey, Tina Fey. Oh, I didn't know it was her partner that was going to be not her partner, but you know, her partner in crime was going to be on, you know, and it's in another location. So I'm still going to watch. It's still fun to watch. I don't know how it's going to be in terms of, I didn't watch the Emmys. So I don't know. In terms of like, you know, when they give awards, like are people going to be dressed up at their homes or anything like that? But it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to watch. So I admit I'll watch, but I, I did read about the controversy. And I know people said that the nominations brought more questions than people cheering. Yeah, I uh, uh, did you have anyone, one of those that really uh, irritated you, like an oversight or giving uh, awards to a show or to give nominations to a show that really... Uh, uh, irritated you in particular i forgot i looked at them really quick i don't know if there's any shows that i really love that were on there from what i remember but i have also been watching shows that are old or shows that yeah. are in paris by by actually fr by actual french people so um i think i think someone from um what's that show that we're watching that you um call my agent is actually in emily in paris Oh, is that right? I did not. One of the, I, one of the agents' ex-wives um, is 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 in Emily in Paris. Oh, so okay. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So there is um, there is some of that crossover there, but um, yeah, I've been watching so many, been watching some so many other shows that aren't necessarily from this year, but I did think I May Destroy You was a good show, and I understood like the uproar. So I understood that. And then, you know, The Five Bloods. I didn't think it was Spike Lee's best movie, but um, that one after, why am I forgetting his name? Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo, yeah. He did a really good job. And so people were talking about um, the awards that he was going to get, and then, you know, they felt like he was really snubbed. But that doesn't mean that these these individuals, I mean, I mean, Destroy is a show, so Oscars are obviously just movies, but I, I think he might get nominated for for an Oscar, at least. You never if know. He if he doesn't, it's an outrage. And I mean, I know outrage, it's like I shouldn't use that word. I had, a, yeah. I, I just did a column a com about how I'm not outraged anymore. But within <laughs> this little world, uh, yeah. he, he was so good. Uh, listen, it's hard for me to get really fired up about this. We, the past we've done shows, uh, Sergio Mims comes on. He's uh, our resident uh, film expert. We go through the nominees uh, for best for all the different categories, generally the Oscars. Uh, but because of the pandemic, Romana, I've like, I, it's hard for me to think of movies existing I know. anymore. I know. Like, I know they all kind of, you're all watching it at your house and you're like, wait, did that come last year? Or did I like, you know, I don't, I don't even remember the last movie I actually saw in the theater. Um, a friend of mine that I bumped into Samina Mustafa, one of her sisters, her older sister this time, I, she told me that that was the last movie she saw. So she's like, it's got to be the last movie you saw. We bumped into each other at Evanston Theater. She was with her daughter. This is Samina Mustafa's sister, one of your guests' sister. It was Little Women. She said, she goes, I think that's the last movie we saw before we went into the pandemic. She said it was like around February. Yeah, I, I think it was the same weekend I saw the last movie I saw. You went to Evanston, which is my hometown, and I went to like, well, I, I'm not sure if it's Skokie or Lincolnwood, which is your hometown. I went to my favorite movie theater in Skokie there, and exactly. I saw... Yeah, Skokie or Niles, yeah, but yeah, it's on the border. It's really close to my mom's house. Uh, yeah, right. and uh, anyway, so I, I remember, and I saw that Ben Affleck movie, which is the name of it has escaped me, a totally mediocre movie, but it's just hard to think of... of 
the Oscars uh, and a movie season. And it's hard to think of a, like Defy Bloods was a great flick. I enjoyed it, but I saw it on TV. I yeah. lost the, this. I just saw it. We're now going to move to recommendations of a, uh, uh, get to the rec- my recommendations, but I saw a Denzel movie, The Little Things. It's totally a big screen movie. I should have seen Denzel on the big screen, you know. Yeah. And it's watching him on the boob tube. It just undercuts it. So it, you know what? I'm just I got to drop out of the discussion of the debate over the outrage I have over the Oscars because I haven't seen most of these movies. Yeah, uh, I think you uh, have. I mean, you're pretty good about movies. You're probably seeing more than the average person. And then, you know, there's some that are probably nominated that they haven't been on streaming services yet or that you have to pay. And I'm one of those people where like, I'm not paying. Like, I want to see a promising young woman, but you still have to pay for that. So I'm like, forget it. I'm going to wait till it's free. So, yeah. So that, so that like, because I'm like, I want to pay 20 bucks or something I'm going to watch at home. Yeah, isn't that so bizarre? That's how I feel. I, but uh, but uh, if I really want to watch a movie, I think I would do it. Um, Minari, I do want to see that. That looks like something I would definitely like about the Korean American family mm-hmm. that moves to a small farming town. I do want to see that one. Um, so we'll see. Uh, um, I, I'm looking forward to watching the Golden Globes, but it won't be the same as we as it normally is. All right. So now we're going to move into Romano's recommendations. But before we do, we're going to test your uh, knowledge of tri- trivia. And uh, when it comes to pop culture, Romana is pretty damn good. I can just tell you that, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever we have anything remotely resembling a dispute on a matter of pop culture, <laughs> I would say 99 out of 100 times, Romana will be correct. And I will get that text uh, after the show pointing that out. So for 10 trivia points, Romana, you've already mentioned his name once, Jesse Smollett. Mm-hmm. What TV show is Jesse Smollett's sister a key actor in? Go. Oh, Lovecraft Country. <laughs> I, 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 knew who, I knew who she was, Journey Smollett, like when she was a little girl. Have you ever watched Eve's Bayou? Yes, yeah. I did watch it. He was like, she was a, like a, a popular kid actor. She would be in a lot of movies. So I knew who she, I knew exactly who, who she was. So when Jesse Smollett, when he got... When the case again, you know, when he said that he was um, accosted by these two MAGA hat wearers, I was like, that's got to be uh, Gurney Smollett's. Uh, I think that's how it's pronounced her, his his sister, because she looks like him. And, you know, she came to court a couple times, too, in the beginning. Yeah, it's important. See, I can't stop talking about Smollett Gate. I, I love know. talking about it any which way I can. I wedge it into the story. Don't believe a word I say if I ever even remotely say I'm sick of it, because I can't talk. Anyway, I just started watching Lovecraft uh, Country. I just... Uh, you started watching it? Yes, because I broke down and got HBO because oh, yeah. I wanted to see uh, Denzel. I could not go without seeing my beloved Denzel. So I watched last week uh, uh, the the little things, which I liked uh, immensely. And I urged everybody who's a Denzel fan. I'm cautious about uh, uh, recommending it to you because I don't know how much you love Denzel Washington. But then as <laughs> Um, one of our listeners, Jay Marie, said, hey, you got HBO. We'll start watching Lovecraft. So I've been watching. I'm really into it. I got it. OK, well, I'll definitely have to ask you about Lovecraft County because I thought it was uneven. And this is a, one thing that I notice a lot of people are doing during the pandemic is they think everything's great that comes out. It's like <laughs> something comes out and they're like, this is the best movie that ever came out. And everybody just starts talking about it. And I'm like, and then I'm kind of thinking it's not that good. <laughs> Lovecraft County, I can tell you, or country or whatever it's called. Sorry, I'm forgetting. I thought it was, I thought it was uneven, but some episodes, like I think there's episode five and six, those like were excellent. Like I thought they were like mini films into like the one show. I thought the themes are really good, but there was some, sometimes I just felt like it was a little uneven in its presentation, but there were some episodes that were really good. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I know everybody's going to come after me because that's one of the shows everybody was like, oh, this is like the best show ever. I think it was one of the better shows for sure. First of all, I'm with you. I mean, every series, and I since the pandemic, I've been watching a series, which I never did before. So for instance, Call My Agent. I love Call My Agent, a French oh, movie. I love that, love it. but there's some really uneven episodes within that. There's four years. There's like, so there's, you're talking about 24 to 30 episodes, how many were they made? Some are going to be better than others. Some are going to be like, I just watched, oh my God, what was it called? Um, I, I told you about it <laughs> since I got HBO. Oh, uh, The Undoing, which was total trash, unbelievably trashy, stupid show. 
could not get enough of it, Ramana. I was like, give me more. But even that, there were like some episodes that were so dumb. I'm like, oh my God, you just now just, you're just insulting me right now. This is so stupid. You're insulting me. You're saying we could put any stupid thing out there. It's sort of like, like I always say, like a mayor proposing something really stupid just to see how many aldermen are dumb enough to follow him. And that's what it was like. Uh, by the way, did you, you saw that one, didn't you? I yeah, did. Really? Remember, we talk, remember I talked about it and you yes. talked about how Hugh Grant was on NPR and I was just saying how like, I was talking about Hugh Grant and I was like, oh my God, it was so obvious. I knew who the killer was since the beginning. You know, I don't want to give anything away to anybody who hasn't seen it, but. I think you just gave everything away in that one sentence, but it's okay. Cause uh, really who did it is not as important as how, who did it is caught. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So don't give that away. Um, All right. So what recommendations do you have? Okay. So. I still um, do want to see Malcolm and Marie, which is hitting Netflix today. Um, that's the show. That's the movie um, about a couple that come back from home after an award ceremony and they start fighting. I do want to see that. Um, I'll probably have to watch that on my own because I don't think um, Mick is going to want to watch that at all. But um, I, you know what I did watch? The guy who made Parasite, I watched his older movie um, called Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. 2014. Mm-hmm. I saw that last week um, with Mick. I don't think he liked it as much as I did, but I did like it. Um, <laughs> and then, okay, so now I got it. This is embarrassing, but um, I started binge watching this show for the last two weeks. It's called In the Dark. It's a CW show and it's on Netflix. And it's about this blind girl in Chicago who befriends this young drug dealer in Chicago. And then he ends up, ends up getting killed and she's trying to find out who did it. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a drama, but it's also a comedy and it's really far fetched, but there's two seasons so far. And it's really funny. I was, I was talking to a young reporter, um, Madeline Kenny at the Sun-Times. She actually did an excellent column about cheerleading and the Northwestern lawsuit by the cheerleader. I don't know if you saw, but she was telling me, she's like, she was checking out of work and she's like, okay, I'm going to go watch The Bachelor. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go watch this show called In the Dark. I go, it's a little ridiculous, but it's still kind of fun. And so she told me the other day, she sent me a message. She goes, hey, I started watching In the Dark. It's kind of fun. So we started laughing. It's because it's like really far-fetched. The lead is a blind character, and she hooks up with a lot of men. And my younger sister is the one who told me to watch it. And we laugh because this blind woman, her hair is always perfect, which I'm not saying a blind person can't have perfect hair. But then she always hooks up with these guys, and none of them are ugly. And we're like, okay, if she's blind... How does she know what these guys look like? I mean, I know it's a show, but we're like, come on. <laughs> One of them's got to be ugly. So we're, we're, we've been making jokes about it. So uh, we've gotten my other friends to watch it. And so we're all discussing the show. It's like a fun show. If you want to watch something mindless, and it's it's one of those shows where if you're from Chicago, you notice that the exterior shots are all filmed in Chicago, but then it's the rest of it's filmed elsewhere because it's not Chicago. They mentioned Evanston in the show, and that's kind of fun. And they mentioned like other suburbs too, so it's kind of funny. And they mentioned like you know certain neighborhoods, so that kind of makes you chuckle. But um, it's fun for that reason. So if you want to watch on Netflix, it's called In the Dark. Wait, so time out. When you say it's fun, is it fun in a way that you it, it the, the show is so bad that you laugh at it or the show is so good that you really enjoy watching it? Well, there are just some parts where, the, you know, some of the jokes that they make, they're kind of funny and you kind of chuckle at it. And I know it's a serious subject. You know, they're, they're dealing with, you know, this young boy who got killed. But there's some things that just make you laugh. It's, it's a little cheesy. I think you'd like it. I don't know. I'll, I wrote it down. I circled it. I got all these HBO things because I got HBO. So I'm going to take advantage of it. I don't know how long I'm going to continue to keep paying for HBO. Uh, but uh, I circled that in the dark on Netflix. Now, maybe, you can, maybe you can watch Big Little Lies with Nicole Kidman. That was like a big HBO show. You know, it's made by the same person who did uh, The Undoing. And yeah. I started reading the book a while back and I stopped reading the book because I thought the book was so bad. Um, so uh, I'll don't know if I'm going to, to go there. I, and plus I had enough of the end doing, all right, I'm going to close by exposing my uh, inner uh, Trump like attitude. And I've already told you about this. I just get your thoughts on this at the risk of sounding like Donald Trump. Uh, and, uh, and in risk of sounding like a MAGA person, I'm getting really kind of sick and tired uh, Romana, of all these British actors getting roles of Americans in movies. And the reason I think about undoing uh, 
one in, there are three stars in that movie. One's Australian, one's a Brit, uh, and the uh, two are Brits, the, and including the kid who puts on a New York accent. I'm like, you couldn't find some preppy actor, 12, 13, 14-year-old boy in New York City who could play a, a, a New York Manhattaner? You know what I'm saying? You had to go all the way to England? Now, I know I, you're going to say bad. You're, you're all America first when it comes Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it really irritates me, the Black Panther movie that's about to come out, which Sergio Mims has already been extolling. He's been sending me texts. He gets all the uh, screener movies. He goes, you got to watch it. we got to talk about it. I'm all, I'm, I'm all set to watch it. Well, Keith Stanfield plays the uh, FBI operative who uh, is giving secrets to the FBI about Fred Hampton. But it's a British actor who plays Fred Hampton. I just can't get over that. I'm sorry, Romana. You you can't tell me there's not a a, a black guy in Chicago who could have played Fred Hampton. They didn't have to go to uh, England. All right. So accuse me of being Trump. Go ahead. There, there there are definitely a lot of arguments made about that. I think when the Harriet Tubman movie came out, um, the actress, I think who I think it's Harriet Tubman. Sorry if I'm making a mistake. Um, I think the actress um, was British. Um, she was a black British woman and a lot of African-Americans are mad. They're like, you're telling me you can't find an African-American to play an African-American. So, um, so yeah, I, you have a point to a certain extent, but I think with the kid, with the Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant kid, maybe he was just the best little white kid that they could find. <laughs> That's weak. There's gotta be, I, uh-uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, I have a hard time buying that. There's like a million your girl, New York City's crawling with little your, your actors. Your girl, Gwyneth Paltrow, played people <laughs> all the time. So you had her. You know what? I was never a fan, just for the record, of her. Uh, in fact, I didn't know this, but Ramana early on in the show would be uh, uh, giving me updates on her. What was the, the candle scent she had? Oh, the vagina candle scent. It got sold out. It sold out, yeah. Somebody got burned with the vagina candle. There was a story a couple days ago about it. Literally, somebody burned themselves. Yeah, or burned their house down with the vagina candle. It's like it was really funny. Everybody's making jokes about it. I gotta find it. I don't know. Something happened with the vagina candle. So okay, all right. (laughs) Well, that's what we have to look forward to for next week's update from Ramana Hussein. What happened to the vagina candle? Uh, anyway, I will have um, I will be watching Lovecraft dutifully and I'll be able to report back to you uh, next week. And then next week, by the way, we'll be able to talk about uh, the Fred Hampton movie, which I think comes out uh, on the 15th. So anyway, uh, Romana, stay safe and sound. It's a blast talking to you as always. And uh, uh, Mick, uh, uh, your beloved uh, husband will be uh, my guest uh, for the bonus segment. So I'll be talking to Mick in a little while. So it's, oh. I'm getting a double shot of, uh, the Ramana Mick household today. So I'm looking forward to that. Anything you want to, anything you want us to tell him, uh, in our interview, I can just tell him, walk over and just oh. tell him. Okay. <laughs> All right, Ramana, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next you week. Okay. Okay. Right. That's a great Ramana who's saying, what you got for me, D? Ninjas in the Chicagoland area. Thanks for last week's <laughs> snowfall. Most Trent, not now. I have updates. <laughs> All right, let's do the back half here. One quick story here before we head out for the weekend. Actually, maybe two. I don't know. We'll see how we feel after we get through this first one here. In my how the tables have turned, and listeners, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but there's something happening right now with the Republican Party. Much like the divide we've seen grow with the Democratic Party in the last decade or so, a divide between middle-of-the-road, milk-toast centrist liberals and uber-lefty left-winger hippies, Hillary, Bernie, Bernie, Hillary, I don't know. (laughs) We're now seeing a rift between Republicans, middle-of-the-road, milk-toast centrist conservatives, and Trump-loving, stop-the-steal, MAGA, uber-right-wingers. It's happening right now. And hats off to our Illinois friends of the conservative persuasion because they are going to try and nip this problem in the bud. Sometimes Rachel Hinton and Andrew Sullender wrote here. Uh, the headline reads, Illinois GOP looks past national divide, seeks leader who can unite far right, middle, city and downstate. We're all Republicans. 
with fissures dividing the National Republican Party as it searches for direction and a message after the presidency of Donald Trump, the Illinois GOP is waging its own lower-profile quest for unity as members prepare to pick a new leader who can bring them together. But rather than disagreeing over Trump, freshman Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, stolen elections or other conspiracy theories, the Illinois Republican Party's challenge is to bridge ideological differences, reach out to minority urban voters, and go back to winning elections. Members of the state GOP committee are planning to meet Saturday to elect a successor to outgoing chairman Tim Schneider, who's been in the seat since 2014. Illinois Republicans are hoping a new face at the head of their party will bring the new energy and new ideas needed to unite Republicans and appeal to most people possible to make gains in the state house, Senate, and other higher offices. Ben, your thoughts. I have many, many thoughts on this. It was a good article uh, in the Chicago Sun-Times, three Republicans seeking uh, to be elected chair of the Illinois House, uh, the Illinois Republican Party, uh, Don Tracy, Mark Shaw, Scott Greider. Uh, and uh, I, there was also a good uh, column by Rich Miller uh, in Capital Facts. Frank, thanks for sending me it. I appreciate it. Uh, and <laughs> there's a movement in the Republican Party that's dedicated to the following uh, slogan, one mind, one strength, and no division. One mind, one strength, and no division. And uh, that's completely contradictory to the notion of reaching out to win over minority and urban voters. I love how urban voters. Am I an urban voter? Or when they say urban voters, do they just mean black people? I'm not quite sure what they mean when they say urban voters. Uh, I live in Chicago, does that make me an urban voter? Uh, so, and to re and to win over uh, suburban swing voters. So I'm like, okay, guys, how are you going to reach out? Let's just think about the black vote. The Republican theory about the election, they believe, this is what they believe, that the election was stolen. And to rectify, I got that in quotes, that theft, they wanted to throw out virtually all the black votes from, in the case of Michigan, Detroit, in the case of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and uh, in Georgia, Atlanta. So essentially, they just wanted to throw out black votes. So how are you going to win more black votes by telling black voters that you want to throw out their votes so that Donald Trump, who lost the election, can be the winner. And that is essentially the argument that the MAGA wing of the Democratic, of the, excuse me, of the Republican Party, which is roughly 70% of the Republican Party or 80% of the Republican Party is making. And that is the argument that Everybody who's not named adding Kinsinger or Mitt Romney is afraid to attack. And so the way Republicans uh, defend that argument is by saying, uh, we have a First Amendment protection right to believe in something that's not true. So stop criticizing for that, us for that. And that's their way of trying to weasel out of that argument that seeks to effectively take Joe Biden out of office and put Donald Trump in office by throwing out tens of millions of votes cast by black people. So how are you gonna win over black voters with that? I don't know. One hand, the Republican Party saying, this is what we wanna do. We gotta, we wanna have a message that wins over voters whose votes we don't want to count if they don't vote for us. I always point out they offer a lefty like me absolutely nothing to ever vote for them. I would like to be able to think that I could vote for the other major party, but they offer me absolutely nothing that would make me want to vote for them. So what are they offering black people to vote for them? Absolutely nothing. So they're really in a pickle here, D. But they're demanding in the state of Illinois that everybody think the same way in regards to the election, everybody think the same way in regards to Marjorie Taylor Greene, everybody think the same way in regards to Mary, Congresswoman Mary Miller and her comment that Hitler was right. They don't want anybody to deviate in any way from supporting Trump, Taylor Greene, Mary Miller, and so forth. 
And Adam Kinzinger, the congressman from uh, Northern Illinois, from the 16th Congressional District, they're censoring him because he feels that Donald Trump should be impeached for inciting uh, a riot. And he feels that Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene should be kicked out of her committee uh, because she has made horrific comments uh, in the past and has uh, behaved in a way that is intolerable for an elected official. So I, I don't know how they're going to get around that one. Do you get what I'm saying? I We talked about this at length, and I urge everybody to check out my interview with the Heartland Moms, Heidi Henry uh, and Murray Briel yesterday about what Adam Kinzinger could be doing, how he could be positioning himself for a run for Senate or a run for governor uh, by solidify him as like a throwback to moderate Republicans of past, Jim Thompson, Jim Edgar, you know, Mitt Romney, et cetera, and so forth. But if 80% of the party is asserting that you are not allowed to uh, criticize Donald Trump, even if he incited a riot, you're not allowed, you're allowed, I guess, to criticize the people who did the riot, but you're not supposed to have an investigation into the riot. It's over and so with. I don't know how they could move past that little segment, or not little, that significant segment of the population that already supports them. It's not enough to win in many states. It's not enough uh, to win. Obviously, it's not enough to win the presidency. So, D, I don't know how they're going to get out of this one, but it'll be interesting to watch them try. And finally, Chicago Democratic Committee leaders meet Saturday to appoint a replacement for state Senator Heather Staines, who announced two weeks ago that she's stepping down from a position she was released to in November. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks here. In a surprise development, it appears State Rep Kelly Cassidy isn't a shoe in for the job. Some committee members are expected to vote for Michael Simmons, deputy director of My Brother's Keeper, which is a part of the Obama Foundation and a former policy director for the city's Department of Planning. He is black and some members on the committee say it's time the district was represented by a person of color. Uh, Illinois Politico goes on here. Cassidy, who is white, threw her hat in the ring so quickly it appeared a fate, a comply, that the Senate seat was hers. That's how these appointments have gone over the years. One person steps aside before his or her term is up and allows an ally to ease in. Uh, But that may not be the case this time around. Alderman Harry Osterman, who heads the Democratic Committee, that will vote on the appointment has made a concrete effort to make the process transparent, holding numerous candidate forums. It's unusual for the appointment process to include constituents in the process since it's committee members who make the call. Yes, glad that they're doing that. Uh, I would say if I had to put money in Vegas, D, I still put my money on Kelly Cassidy uh, to emerge victorious. Because she gets, uh, I forget what portion, I had the, the numbers in front of me the other day when I was uh, talking about it. I think she's got roughly, don't quote me on this, 22% of the weighted vote. Uh, so between her, Osterman in the 48th Ward uh, and Kelly Cassidy uh, in the 49th Ward, I think those two are close to 50 plus. So I would have put my uh, money on Kelly Cassidy uh, being victorious. Be interesting uh, if she isn't, what she's going to say about it on Tuesday, because I got her booked to come on the show. All right. And that's our show, everybody. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts, subscribe, do all that stuff and tell your friends. You can find us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, at gmail.com. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. Want to thank Romana Hussein for the Chicago Sun-Times. Outstanding job, as she always does. And, of course, thank the man to the legend, part of George Altman Law, without whom the show is possible. And as Romana Hussein, Kelly Cassidy, Michael Simmons, and Harry Osterman will all tell you, back home in beloved Alton. Oh, wait, you know what, Ben? You know what, Ben? Actually, since you said Heather Staines, I forgot about that. Hey, Staines! (laughs) What'd you do? I'm on to you. (laughs) Oh, my God. Spending time with her family.
and John Cullerton. Anyway, back home at Alton, they call him Dennis. Have a, give yourself a raise, take it up petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. The ball. The ball is in the CTU's court. The ball. The ball. State Water Survey, the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Average temperatures this past week range from the low 20s in northern Illinois to mid 30s in southern Illinois, between 1 and 5 degrees above normal for this time of the year. This week capped off a warmer than normal January. Statewide average January temperature about 2.5 degrees above the 1981. This past week was also much more active on the precipitation side. Seven days Central Illinois. Seven-day snowfall totals range from just over a tenth of an inch along a line stretching from Calhoun and Gallatin County, all the way up to totals exceeding 12 inches in the Chicagoland area. Thanks to last week's snowfall, most areas in the northern part of the state are now only one to four inches below average on snowfall from the season. Larger five to ten.